Welcome to the Modern Intimacy Podcast, a show about mental health, sex, relationships, education, how-tos, and those private things we need to talk about more publicly with no restrictions. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri. As a licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, and certified sex addiction therapist, I know that mental health is directly tied to the quality of our relationships and our sex lives. I am passionate in my desire to smash stigmas about both and shine a light on relationship and societal issues that may be negatively affecting us. During this podcast, I will also give you practical answers and insights to questions you're asking about or have been hoping to solve. We should all have fulfilled, happy lives, erasing shame and stigmas and building healthy connections. Let's do that by getting curious together. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Welcome back to this episode of Modern Intimacy. Today, I wanted to take a turn and talk a little bit more about the relationship that we have with ourselves, creating a a relationship with ourselves that is compassionate, that is forgiving, that is challenging within the parameters of a healthy growth edge is a really essential step in learning how to be the best friend, best partner, best colleague that we can be. And I'm really excited today to have with me Joel Cross. Joel is an advocate for mindfulness with a following on TikTok over 100,000 and a community, excuse me, a community on TikTok that's over about 375,000 followers and on Instagram over 100,000 followers. I stumbled upon Joel's work several months ago and instantly felt captured with the gentleness and the groundedness of Joel's voice, his words and his ultimate presence. So Joel, thank you so much for being here today and for modeling so much of what you talk about. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. How did you find yourself in this work and really focusing on mindfulness? Um, You know, around, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, I discovered mindfulness and meditation and was kind of surprised on the impact it had on my life. You know, uh, I come from, I'm from Texas, Dallas area originally. Um, And so, you know, coming up in the South, there was very much this man, man's idea that was perpetuated, but I was very much an empath. And, you know, I, that, that didn't really resonate for me. So Mm -hmm. actually kind of allowing myself to let go of some of these toxic masculine ideals Mm-hmm. And be true to myself. And um, the more and more I practice mindfulness, um, the happier I was overall. Just it started shifting things in this really subtle way that um, just slowly brought me to where I am today. And when you use the language of toxic masculinity, I'm curious about how you define that and what you noticed not resonating for you. When I use the term toxic masculinity, I'm usually talking about the toxic masculine ideals that are perpetuated as norm or what a man, quote unquote, should be Mm -hmm. uh, that I see in society. Now we're slowly recognizing on a mass scale and breaking that down. I think women more than anyone have known that's been dysfunctional. (laughs) We've had some we've had some inklings. Yeah. (laughs) 
What didn't you resonate? And, and I'm curious, like what, what pieces did meditation speak to that allowed you to find a counterbalance in your own masculinity? Okay. Um, the biggest things were one that men weren't supposed to be able to feel their emotions or be able to express their emotions very well. That was just what was expected. And if you were emotional, um, men don't cry, you know, statements like that. Um, and the other was, you know, that we're not good listeners or, um, I'm describing what I heard from women. I have mm -hmm. sisters, three brothers and, um, you know, in our mixed conversations, I would always hear what women are largely complaining about with men, right? Uh, the communication, not listening, mm -hmm. and amongst many other things. And so I, you know, just kind of took that in. I just observed it for a long time and looked at the, the male role models in my life, um, uncles, other men around the community. I was like, there's a lot of truth there. <laughs> a lot of truth. Yeah. Right? <laughs> So, um, you know, those were the, the two biggest things that I recognized. Um, but also for me, as an empath and being very emotional, um, like that just didn't feel true, didn't feel mm -hmm. um, honest or accurate. And so once I mindfulness, I, I begin to ask questions. A lot of time I'm asking, how's your heart? What I call heart questions, just, you know, checking in with the self. Mm -hmm. And what was true for me, um, that I am a feeler. I feel deep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what was true for me is that I am a feeler. I do have emotions. Um, and there just hasn't been a safe container for me to practice expressing those, allow myself to feel them. And mindfulness gave me an avenue to do that. Mm. What's the link for you between mindfulness and being able to really feel your feelings and be in touch with them in a way that feels like a safe container? Mm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, journaling was actually my gateway into meditation. Mm -hmm. Just checking in. You know, no one else can hear what I'm expressing or see it. Um, and so diving in my own journaling practice after a big breakup, like my early twenties, <laughs> I, you know, really realized I had a lot of things that were just suppressed that I wasn't in touch with. And it wasn't until I had that container, um, to feel free to express everything authentic, authentically without worrying about how someone else will perceive it. Mm. Um, that I began to really start having breakthroughs that slowly bled over into, you know, um, my meditation practice, my silent, you know, seated meditation practice. Mm -hmm. When I work with men, this is true for people of all genders, but especially for men, when I work with them and they're just at the early starting point of learning how to build uh, emotional fluency uh, and, and understanding at a deeper level, one of the things that can be the most resourceful and most helpful for them is to think about what they're experiencing in their bodies first, right? And to use that as a starting point to begin to decode the emotions that live in our bodies. And I wonder if you can speak to um, either your own experience of 
matching the vocabulary of emotions with the sensation of emotion and how that felt for you as you started your practice? Yeah. Um, you know, when I started, most of it was intuitive and I was just experimenting um, and embracing the freedom to express. Mm-hmm. And over time, it became a thing when I was trying to communicate with others. I realized I didn't always have the words. And what was really helpful is actually um, Dan Siegel has an acronym mm-hmm. I'm checking in called SIFT. And it stands for what am I sensing? What are the sensations? What imagery? Is coming, you know, if I'm seeing myself acting a certain way or doing something, um, what feelings, really naming my feelings mm-hmm. and not just blaming or projecting, and then what thoughts are coming up. Mm-hmm. And so practicing doing that on my own, I was able to kind of bridge that gap between the raw feeling of discomfort or turmoil, naming it and being expressive in uh, an intentional way. Mm-hmm. How did that allow you to communicate what you were feeling differently, if at all? So once I was clear on what I, what I was feeling, mm-hmm. and I was doing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Good distinction. <laughs> and, and why it was coming up, because mm-hmm. most of it is triggers from old experiences that haven't been processed, traumas. Um, it was easier for me to ground with my mindful practice. Um, building the skill of just getting clear and stepping out of the emotion and being present and then knowing, okay, this is what I'm feeling. It's connected to this. When you did this, right, I felt this way. But, mm-hmm. um, but now I'm not blaming you, but I think the tricky part in a lot of these relationships, at least for myself and the women I've dated, they're not used to having a man that is as expressive as I am mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as <laughs> so we, we learn together how to <laughs> those expectations or mm-hmm. um, is that, you know, aren't working for any of us anymore. Yeah. I really appreciate that you brought that up um, because I, I know that a lot of people will say they want something in a relationship, but they're so used to not having it be that way that sometimes it feels as if it's not even possible. So when that trait that you're looking for in a partner or that communication style that you've been hoping for comes up in a relationship, it might feel really hard to believe in, um, or it might feel so new and um, unexpected that it can catch people by surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's a a common occurrence. (laughs) You know, uh, that's why I like to think of the toxic masculinity as a, the, I mean, beyond how it is embodied in a lot of the men. The idea that I think we have these expectations of men. To, and even, you know, when you desire something that you've never experienced, mm-hmm. it's really hard to um, imagine the full spectrum and not just the things that make your life easier, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Areas you have to go into and kind of match that or shift some of personal world. Yeah. This work, the work of meditation, the work of mindfulness really is, I think, in addition to being present, it's an invitation to being humble because none of us can be in our best higher self state all the time. And regressions are to be expected, 
but we want to try and minimize the depth of the regression, the frequency and the damage (laughs) either to ourselves or to other people, right? So meditation and mindfulness does lengthen that runway between reaction internally and action in our behavior. And I think that's one of the things that can make it such a selling point to folks who maybe don't understand the utility of meditation or mindfulness, or they have a hard time sitting still. And I wonder what, if any, um, humble moments might you have been able to connect with in your early work and how did it benefit you to push through them? Mm, Yeah. Great question. Um, well, I think one of the biggest humbling moment moments of my life was just recognizing the anger mm. <laughs> that I had held um, throughout my life. You know, if you asked me 10 years ago, are you angry? I'd be like, no, I've never been angry. <laughs> right? Like, right. Now I can look back. But um, I, was, I had suppressed it so much mm-hmm. that I was just totally, you know, um, out of touch with it. Mm-hmm. And so the moments when, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back and I had an outburst and a moment of losing myself with someone that I cared about, those were really humbling to recognize no matter what was happening. I have no right to lose myself in that way yeah. and really to own my anger and own my history and really start figuring out a strategy to deal with, um, deal with that and process that. I really appreciate that perspective. And and I think that it kind of does reframe the experience of anger when we do own it, because we so often misunderstand rageful behavior as anger, but it's really not. There's the emotion of anger, the internal experience of it, and then the way we communicate it. And it's a pretty short pipeline from experience to expression until you have some skill developed in lengthening that that experience and process out. But you know, it, it's it gives us better control over our emotions when we can learn how to sit with them and build a tolerance for how uncomfortable they feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Cultivating patience with with yourself. I'm curious about your thoughts on that and what's worked for you or what's worked with some of the folks that you've helped in terms of building that ability to kind of sit with compassionate patience for where we are and where we want to be. Yeah. Um, I think... I, I think a lot about patience and time time being our most valuable asset because we can't get any of it back. Mm-hmm. And so trying to have um, an accurate, realistic expectation when it comes to time. So, you know, in an age of consumerism, I want it and I want it now, a pill for every ill. Like really thinking about, well, what am I trying to do here? Because I'm trying to transform probably most of my life up until this point, the patterns and beliefs I've held into... Uh, a version of myself that I don't fully understand, but I long for, and I'm, I'm challenging myself daily to believe it's possible. Mm-hmm. And I have to think about, well, what is the pace of change? And like real change, you know, not 
the 30 day diet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not the kind that we, that we just try on for a day and yeah. And so I don't know um, when I think of patience as aligning with the pace of change, the natural pace of change, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's easier when I don't ask questions like, well, am I there yet? Mm. Better to me, if I ask, have I improved since a month ago, six months ago? Mm. You know, and usually when I think about it in reference to my history, I know I'm headed in the right direction, or maybe I'm not. <laughs> but <laughs> I can have patience with um, the full spectrum of the process because, mm. you know, it's not a straight line up. We all have our dips along the way. We so do. I mean, it's it's definitely not a linear progression when we're trying to evoke any kind of change, let alone the kind of change that requires um, a different level of attunement to our mind-body connection and communication. And that's really what meditation allows us to cultivate is a stronger conversation between mind and body that allows us to stay so present, so much more present than when we're not in that state and builds up that muscle so that it's there for us when we need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's the greatest gift I believe. <laughs> it is. Um, how do you differentiate between the idea of selfishness and self-compassion and self-care, right? When we're talking about this growth. You know, the, the idea of selfishness, I, I often share um, phrase, heal people, heal people are, you know, on the plane, if it's crashing, put your vest on first before you go try to tend to someone else. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't actually think of, I don't like to use the word selfish. Um, to me, it's, it's all an act of compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Compassion and um, even the self-care, it's, it's a necessity. Um, and I've, I've, I like the phrase self-care because it's something that we need and it, and it really gets people to understand very quickly. But I have tried to elevate it in my life to, you know, as much as we have our priority for responsibilities and resources and work, it's like taking care of myself is now at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Unnegotiable. It's before work. It's before mm-hmm. the other. Because if I'm not attuned and aligned with myself and what I need in the moment, then everything else suffers. Absolutely. Absolutely. What would you say to someone who is trying to give meditation a try, but doesn't feel like they can really sit in that stillness or be present with themselves. So they're really struggling. Yeah. Um, Well, much of my work and focus, you know, as an advocate for mindfulness is to actually allow people to experience it that breath. Um, Just like life, because much of our projected ideals, just like around a man who's more expressive or free or whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. um, have all these fantasies that aren't, realistic to what the real experience is. So for someone trying, I I'd, um, I actually like to just ask them how's their heart and just kind of confuse them for a moment, <laughs> delightfully. <laughs> figure out what's happened or maybe join back in mm-hmm. and realize that those, you know, 30 to 40 seconds is actually a meditation. But I also encourage people to think that meditation is just 
um, attention and focus. So, you know, anything can be a meditation. Um, that's why I like sharing with people the journal. It's something that we get to do collectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's online where it's like, oh, this is cool. This is fun. Like, I can do this for a second, and then I can talk to these people. I can share. Mm-hmm. And, I share. Mm-hmm. and that's with meditation. It's, it's more about just having an intentional moment to focus on your inner space. Mm, I really love that. I remember when I used to work at um, a couple of different prisons, one of the things that I would work on with the folks who were incarcerated there was learning how to find meditative opportunities while hiding in plain sight so that it didn't call out a vulnerability for them. And we would often pair meditation with walking to chow or walking to wherever they were going to be for the day and aligning their thought process and their and their awareness with each step or with the way their arms swung side to side. And I think that's a really portable way to be mindful out here, even if you're just walking from the couch to the kitchen, right? Can you be in your body and really connect with the soles of your feet as they touch the floor? It can be something that simple over and over again in small increments to start building more awareness and more ability to sink in. Yeah. I love that. And I mentioned walking meditation, but that's probably one of my most um, consistent practices. I, you know, as I'm, as a nomad, mm-hmm. I, I walk every morning as much as I'm able. And um, I've been doing it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's definitely one of my strongest grounding practices. That's amazing. Um, how do you think meditation and mindfulness can relate to being sexual, either with oneself or with a partner? Yeah, I think as far as meditation connected to sexuality, um, it's well, it's definitely been a benefit in my sex life. Um, it creates a space for me to actually turn my presence and my awareness to my partner mm. in a new kind of way. Also, um, really helps me recognize that, you know, for me, the act of sex starts way before we get into the bedroom and we get mm-hmm. into, um, it's about paying attention and connecting and feeling a unison in the conversation, a unison with your everyday experience a unison with how you experience the world mm. so that when we connect and I'm looking to um, reach a place with you, where we are at the ultimate satisfaction. I know what that means. Mm. Wow. I really appreciate the way you've said that and described that. It's like there's a, a shared there's a shared understanding of the the purpose, the presence, and the sensation that underlies the sexual experience that can amplify the pleasure that you feel. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
So meditation can be a way that you can really connect with a partner exponentially and also with your own body because it can allow you to recognize when you might be closer to orgasm and work on slowing that down and having more control or it can allow you to really surrender into those sensations of pleasure and allow yourself to go there if you're someone who has a hard time letting go during sex because there's a safety yeah, I'll, I'll say, um, you know, once I got really deep in my practice, there was definitely more control. Mm. But I started having full body orgasmic experiences that mm. were beyond, you know, what I, the pleasure I had experienced before having a practice, a consistent practice. And so if anyone needs an incentive. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. That's a signing. That's a singing endorsement for meditation right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> well, Joel, thank you. This has been such a great conversation. And I'm again, really grateful that you were able to carve out some time um, from your, your time in Oregon for this chat. Where can people follow you or contact you if they want to learn more about your work? Sure. Um, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Um, you can find me on all the social media at a soul called Joel no spaces and a soul called joel.com will have my offerings from music um my rise journal and um connecting to meditation and uh, life coaching mm, wonderful thank you so much thank you intimacy starts with being curious at the end of each episode, I'll be answering your questions. I love interacting with all of you, so please keep the questions coming via TikTok, Instagram, and our website, or you can email questions at modernintimacy.com. I'll include your name attached to the question unless you ask me not to. So tune in to hear if your questions get answered here or on our social media pages. Okay, let's get curious together. Okay, next question comes from Caitlin R., Caitlin says, I'm in the dating game, having just broken up with my boyfriend. I feel hesitant to have sex again. When's the right time and how many dates? This is such a great question. And Caitlin, thank you for asking it. I think we we grow up sometimes hearing a lot of messages about how long we should wait to be sexual. But the answer is we should have sex with a partner when both partners want to be sexual. So that can be on the first date, that can be on the second date, it can be on the 10th date. What I might invite you to think about is really getting clear on what you want from someone. Sometimes we jump into being sexual when we really want is a relationship. And that can actually make a broken heart feel worse because it can remind you of the closeness and intimacy that you don't have. So if what you're looking for is pleasure, I would say there's no time like the present. Whenever you're ready, whenever you feel like pleasure is on the menu for you. But definitely take some time to think about your reasons for wanting to be sexual and don't feel the need to rush. If you're not ready, that's okay too. Again, the best time is when you're ready, when you're interested, and when both partners consent. Thank you for listening to the Modern Intimacy Podcast. On Instagram, follow me at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and at The Modern Intimacy. On TikTok, check me out at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and on Twitter at Kate Balistrieri. Everyone has questions about mental health, sex, and relationships. Send yours to me via DM on Instagram 
or email them to questions at modernintimacy.com and I'll answer some at the end of each episode. Visit the website modernintimacy.com to schedule a consultation with a member of our team or to sign up for our newsletter. Let's meet back here next week. New episodes air every Tuesday. Reminder, this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for mental health services. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.